Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. The last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Without You, and we've been talking about what the body of Christ looks like without you. And I don't have as much time as I normally have, so we're going to have to kind of uh, breeze through some of this, but I wanted you to see where we are in the construction uh, part of, of things so that you could kind of come along with us and see everything as it happens. Uh, but this weekend, the first two weekends, were kind of a part one, part two message, and then uh, this is week three, and it's kind of a, a part one, part two message. Uh, next week, we're talking about outreach, and this week, we're talking about community. And the title of this weekend's message, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. The title is, Without You, We Don't Connect with the Right People. Without You, We Don't Connect with the Right People. We're talking about community this weekend, and it's a word that a lot of people misunderstand in the body of Christ. When we hear the word community, many of us think of our neighborhoods. Uh, some of us think about our, our uh, community of friends. But when we talk about community as a church, a lot of people, here's a phrase that we, we all use a lot related to the church. I'm going to church. I'm going to church. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to church. Okay, here's the problem when we say that over and over again it makes it more likely that we become okay with simply going to church rather than being the church. So as we talk about community, this entire series is designed to help us all see the church for what God intended it to be. And here's what God intended the church to be, a community of his family. That's what it is. Now, if you got a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. The first one you can open up to, Luke chapter, I mean, John 17. The second one in Luke, you can put a marker in. That's Luke chapter 5. We'll end there. So open up to John chapter 17 and put a marker in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to give you three things this weekend related to community. And each point kind of builds towards what I believe the point of this message is, and that is for you to see your role that God designed in his community of faith, the body of Christ. Point number one is essential to you understanding just how important community is. Point number one is very simple. God is serious about community. God is serious about community. Think about the first words in the Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse one. What are the first words? What? In the beginning. Okay, those are the first words. What's the next word? Okay. In the first four English words of the Bible, the way we have it translated, we see how serious God is about community. Let me read it to you so that you can see it, not just hear yourself say it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. First four words, in the beginning, God. Let us know just how serious God is about community. 
And you might say, well, well Preston, it, but let's put that back up there just so we can see it. it. All it says is, in the beginning, God. I, I don't see anything about community. In the beginning, God. But here's what you have to know. This word God is the word Elohim. And it is translated in the plural form. Now, for those of you who hate English, just fall asleep for the next 30 seconds, okay? Let me, let me make sure we all understand the difference between singular and plural, okay? I know this is elementary, but if I were talking about the fact that I am the senior pastor of this church, that is a singular statement. I alone am the senior pastor of this church. But if I were saying I am one of the senior pastors in Scottsdale, that's plural, Multiple senior pastors, correct? Singular, talking about one. Plural, talking about at least two. Are we all on the same page? Okay. Elohim is written in the plural form. But yet it says in the beginning, God. So what in the world is God talking about in his word? I'll tell you what. The Trinity. God. Three in one. He is the three in one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't have the time to take you through all the passages in Scripture because I've had it said before, someone will say, well, the word Trinity is not actually in the Bible. Okay, no, it's not actually in the Bible, but the Trinity is all over the Bible. The word monotheism isn't in the Bible. But we all believe there is one God. Why do we believe that? You can go to Isaiah 43. You can go Deuteronomy 6. You can go all over. God says, listen, there was no God before me. There will be no God after me. I alone am the only God. Yet the word monotheism is not in the Bible. The word Trinity isn't in the Bible, yet we see all throughout Scripture, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, the community of the Trinity. In the beginning, the community of the Trinity. Here's how important community is to God. Long before he made man, there was community. God had community before he even created mankind. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As I was studying this week on the word community and, and all the words associated with it, uh, I came across the word university. And I've never done a study on what the word university means, but this week I did. And the, the word university means unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. Now, unfortunately, we live in a day and age where we focus far more on diversity than we do unity. That's half the problem. We, we, we talk so much about diversity that we minimize unity. The Trinity is the epitome of unity in diversity. If you want to know what community in the body of Christ was intended to look like, look at the Trinity. Unity in diversity. Now I want you to think about something. Think about all the times in Scripture while Jesus was on the earth that he asked the Father for something. Now think about it. He asked that someone be raised from the dead. He asked, now I know it wasn't a literal question, but in essence, in the garden, he said, if there's any way you can take this cup away from me, please do it. Yet, not my will be done, but yours. He was saying, I take this cup. Okay, 
One of the big things Jesus asked the Father for while he was on earth was unity. Let me show it to you. If you open up into John chapter 17, read it with me, starting in verse 20. Jesus says to the Father, I am praying, asking, not only for these disciples, speaking of his 12, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, all of them, that the entire family would be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Now, we talk about diversity. We begin to talk more about individual identity. And many of us, when we think about ourselves, this is how we think. God created me uniquely. I am uniquely created. There is no one else like me. I am unique. That is true. That is an inarguable statement. God made you to be you, and there will never be anyone else exactly like you. But we can't stop there. You see, God did not just create you to be unique. God created you not to be just one of a kind. He created you also to be one with the rest of his children. If all we do is think about individual identity, then we, we get content with staying the way we are right where we are. But when we understand God not only made me to be one of a kind, but he created me to be one with the rest of his family, then I become dangerous. That leads us to point number two. We were created for community. We were created for community. Look back in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us stop there. To whom is the Father speaking to? The Son and the Holy Spirit, correct? How do we know that? Listen to what the rest of it says. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Here's an interesting theological fact. Many of us say, I'm created in God's image. And when we say that, we think in the singular form. I've been made in God's, and what we're really saying and believing, I've been made in God the Father's image. No, you haven't. Yes, you have. Like how confusing I am? But you are also made in the Son and the Holy Spirit's image. Let me read it to you again. Then God said, let us make human beings in our, not just in my, in our image to be like us. You were created for community. And one of the ways you know, you were created in the image of the entire Trinity, the community the divine community called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You were made for this. You were not just made to be one of a kind. 
God created you to be one with the rest of his children. Have you ever heard someone say, well, that's just the way I am. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Your spouse might have said that to you in the car in a fight on the way here today. (laughs) Well, that's just the way I am. And that's usually the tone people use when they say that, right? It's not a sweet statement. It's usually an argumentative statement. Well, that's just how I am. And, And what are they usually talking about? They're pointing at something that the rest of us don't like and saying, well, tough, get over it. This is just how God made me. That's what they're saying, okay? That's an inaccurate statement. Because what they're saying is, this was how God made me. He made me as one of a kind. This is just the way I am. Well, here's my pushback question for you if you ever use that statement. Were you created to be in your own image or theirs? Listen, the Bible does not say, let us make Preston in Preston's image. That would have been awesome. (laughs) I would have taken that. But unfortunately, I'd be settling. You were not made in your image. You were made in theirs, not just his. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You were made for community. Now, some people, when we talk about community, here's the pushback I get. Well, I'm just shy. I'm, I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert either. They just pay me to be one. I'm an introvert. My, my uh, perfect day involves me being out in the middle of a forest somewhere with my bow, head to toe camouflage with paint on my face that would scare almost every person in this room all by myself. But I have learned the value of community. And community requires we get out of our comfort zone. We have to. It's easy just to go through life and say, well, this is just the way I am. And anybody that can't deal with it, tough. But I'm going to be the way God made me to be. Don't forget, you weren't created to be in your image. You were created in their image. And when someone says, well, I'm just shy. You know, that's just, that's how I am. That's the way God made me. Uh, And so what what they're really saying is, I kind of prefer just to be alone. That's just how I am. Well, let me read you what the Bible says about that. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then... The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, I fully understand that typically we apply this verse to marriage specifically. But you cannot convince me that this verse was intended to be applied to marriage only. You can't. And I can prove it to you. I believe this was not just for marriage. It's about relationship. It is not good for us to be alone. Here's how I know it's not just about marriage. Because it doesn't say it is not good for man to be single. 
Paul addresses it in the New Testament. He says, listen, some of you are called to be single. He doesn't say that's bad. He actually says it's good. Listen, the Bible is saying, as it relates to relationships, not just to marriage, it is not a good thing for us to be alone. And if you're here and you kind of, when you come to church, you say, well, you know what? I'm just, I, I'm, I'm kind of a loner. That's the way I am. Uh, I don't really like to talk to people. When uh, Pastor Brad asks those silly questions during meet and greet, I sit down and open up my Bible to look spiritual and intimidate people and keep them away from asking me some silly question about my socks. Listen, if that's you, you are missing out on the community of God's family. Well, Preston, I'm here. And, and actually, technically, I'm in a room filled with people. So while I kind of say I'm, I'm an isolationist, but I'm really not because I'm in a room full of people, let me tell you something. Just because you're in a room filled with people does not automatically mean you are personally connecting with them. You can be in a room filled with people like this. That doesn't mean that you're a part of community. So here's the big question. How do I know that I'm not just part of the crowd, but I'm part of the community of believers, the body of Christ? Let me show you in scripture. I think there's a really easy answer in Romans chapter 12, verse four. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. Here's how you know you're not just part of the crowd, but you're part of the community. You belong to people in this church and they belong to you. I'm not talking about slavery. Here's what that word belong, the picture tied to it looks like. They can count on you and you can count on them. If, if when you come to this church, no one in this church can count on you. And I do not mean this in a harsh manner. You're a part of the crowd, not the part of the community that God desires you to be. He desired his fam desires his family and designed his family to be able to count on one another. It's essential to what he wants to do on the earth. That the body of Christ, while fully in diversity, be completely in unity. That we be unified, that we be one, as Jesus said. We were created for community. Have you ever watched someone do something at a very high level and you had the thought, wow, they were made for that? Maybe an athlete, maybe an artist, maybe an entrepreneur, maybe a, uh, someone in, in your place of business, whatever field, a teacher, a mother, a father. You just watch someone and you have the thought, Wow, they are good at that. They were created for that. They were made for that. I believe when we connect in community in the body of Christ, God looks at us and says, wow, he was made for that. She was made for that. Yesterday, my son Tyler played in his third ever basketball game which is a big deal in our house. That's what I played 
Uh, that was my favorite sport. And we've kind of been holding him off until he got into uh, now the fifth grade. I didn't want him playing in second grade where he was shooting like this, you know. So I, I waited till he was a little bit stronger. And there are some pluses, but also some minuses to that. He's in fifth grade playing against kids who have played basketball before. And he, he doesn't really know much about basketball. All he knows, we've been going to the gym for a couple years, shooting hoops together. And something you need to know about Tyler's daddy, this is a sidebar, something you need to know about Tyler's daddy. When he was younger, he could shoot the ever-loving rock. <laughs> he could shoot the ball. Not so much anymore, but used to. At least that's how he remembers it. <laughs> he could shoot the ball. And so when we go to the gym, Tyler watches daddy, and, and he'll say things like, Daddy, you just made 11 threes in a row. You must have been a really good shooter when you were young. That's how you know you're starting to get a little bit older when your kids start saying things like that right there. <laughs> so he's watched daddy, and in Tyler's mind, the goal of basketball is making lots of shots. So in his third ever game, yesterday, the best player on their team was absent in the first half, so Tyler was having to carry the bulk of the load. So he's playing point guard, and he comes down one of the first possessions, and he jacks up a three. I mean, the kid is not afraid to shoot from anywhere in the gymnasium. He jacks up a three, and it goes in. Well, there's something dangerous that happens when you're 10 years old, and you make your first three-pointer. You think you're going to make all the rest of them. So he starts, I am not joking you, four feet behind the three-point line at 10 years old, heaving up threes. He didn't make one for the rest of the game. But he was jacking them up like he was Steph Curry. Because in his mind, that's the bulk of what he's seen is a lot of shooting. And so he thought, well, it, to be good at basketball, you have to be a good shooter. Then yesterday at one point in the game, he started getting tired of shooting so much. He did something that he hadn't done before. He dribbles down the right side and draws the defense to him. Three opposing players collapse on him, and he looks up by the grace of God and sees one of his teammates standing underneath the basket all by himself. And he, by the grace of God again, passes the ball to the child. <laughs> the child makes an easy layup. And I scream out, way to go, Tyler, awesome pass. And he looks over at me. I didn't do that when he made the three. He looks over at me and I could see it in his eyes. Like, you're impressed with that? <laughs> so what does he do? The very next play, he comes down. Dribble, 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 pulls up like he's going to shoot. The defense collapses. He sees another teammate underneath the basket all by themselves, passes the ball. They score an easy layup. Way to go, Tyler. After the game, we get in the car. He says, Daddy, why were you so excited about my passes? I said, well, buddy, because you hadn't made a shot in 45 minutes. I didn't really say that. You know I didn't say that. <laughs> I talk so tough, but you know I didn't say that. I said, buddy, I saw it today. See, the last couple of games, you thought the goal of basketball was all about what you could do. 
But what I saw in my son today was you learn the value of team, that the goal of basketball is not about what you can do, it's about what we can do. Well, what is the body of Christ all about? It's not about what you can do. It's about what we can do. And I believe God peers over the balcony of heaven when you close that business deal. And while he is excited, he is not nearly as excited when you make that three as when he sees you serving at the front door, connecting with the family of God, connecting with people who do not yet know Jesus. I believe he peers over the balcony of heaven just like I did with Tyler's assist and says, oh my goodness, you got it. This life is not about you. It's about me. And I'm all about them, which means I want you to be all about them. You were created for community. That leads us to the third point. The goal of Christian community is connection. The goal of Christian community is connection. I'm going to read you two passages that are really important to me. And before I read 1 Corinthians 9, I want to tell you, a couple weeks ago, I taught on uh, serving. And it's always so funny you know, when you teach on certain things, the way people hear it. So when I, when I teach on tithing, there are always people who someone will say inevitably, church is hurting for money, isn't it? They think that's why I'm teaching on tithing. Never mind the fact that it's all through scripture and God says the tithe belongs to me. That as a pastor, I'm supposed to teach the principles of God. When I teach on serving, what do you think some people say? The church must be hurting for volunteers. See, that's, that's when I know that the enemy is winning in the conversation on community. When people look at a message on serving and say, oh, it must be because there's a big need. No, it's because it's the way God designed it. And here's why I get so excited when I see you serving in the house of God. You're going to see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to explain it to you. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 19, he says, even though I am a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ or to connect many with Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Paul clearly had figured it out that the goal of this thing we call Christian community is to connect others to Christ. It's not just to connect with one another. And that's the way many of us see the church. Well, this is a place where I find people who are like-minded. They think like me. They act like me. They talk like me. It's where I find friends. This is, this is my community. It's for us to connect with one another. Yes, that's part of it. But there's a much larger part of it, and that is connecting others with Christ. 
And Paul says, listen, I'll do just about whatever I can. I'll find whatever common ground I possibly can to connect others with Christ. That is the goal of Christian community, is connection one to another, but also to connect others to Christ. And the reason I get so excited when I see you serving is simple. I have learned over the years that while it is my job, just like Paul said, to try and find common ground with every person I possibly can so that I can connect them with the household of God, the community of believers, but also connect them to Christ. But here's what I've learned. Not everyone connects with me. I've had people say to me before, I would sense that they were kind of standoffish, and every week I would try to kind of crack the code and catch them in the lobby. Hey, how's it going? How you doing this week? Fine. Almost like, why are you asking me? Hey, where are you from? What do you like to do in your free time? I ask every question I possibly can. Can't get anywhere with them. And I remember asking somebody several years ago, hey, uh, did I do something to offend you? And, and the woman was very, very honest in her response. She said, no, I don't think you did. But you remind me of someone when I was younger that treated me very, very wrongly. I didn't even do anything. Well, here's what she was saying. I don't connect with you. That's okay. I don't take that personally because not every person connects with everyone. That's why I get so excited when I see you at the front door. You may come here and, and say, well, Preston's 38, and I'm 68, and I look around and I see a lot of younger people. I don't know if there's a place for me. Do you know why I'm so proud of you? Because you go serve at the door and greet people. And you know why that's so important? Because there are other 68-year-olds who come in for the first time to this church and see a 38-year-old pastor and go, I don't know if this is the place for me. But they see you at the door and go, well, wait. If there's a place for them in this house, that means there's probably a place for me in this house. Here's why I get so excited about you serving in the house of the Lord. Because I have seen it happen where God has led someone to our church for the first time and someone for the entire week is getting beat up by the enemy. Don't go to church there. No one there is like you. They hate what you love. They love what you hate. That is not the church for you. Incidentally, if the devil is usually saying that about a church, it's probably, probably the right church to go to. I'm just saying. So they come to church and they sit through worship and we get to the message and they see me and they're on the fence. They don't like something about me. They're too focused on me. So they're bothered by me to the extent that it's hard for them to hear God. And the enemy's beating them up going, see, look at him. He's nothing like you. In high school, he used to pick on people like you. And they just believe the lie and then they go out into the lobby and they won't talk to me, but they bump into you at Guest Central. And you happen to be someone extremely like them. And you talk for 10, 15, 20 minutes go by. And all along, God's just whispering in this person's ear, see, I told you, this is a place for you. Listen, don't underestimate the value you bring to this community. 
I cannot connect with everyone by myself. But when we come together, there is pretty much nobody we can't reach. We can reach them all. God didn't call me to reach them by myself. He called us to reach them together. Now, we're kind of taking a break from our groups this year. We feel like the Lord's challenged us this year to rethink groups. And so we're taking a season of time where we're trying to really strengthen our why and evaluate our how. And it's going to take us, we think, this whole year to really uh, we feel like the Lord's put some things on our radar to try. You probably got a card like this when you came in and saw the Community Connect area out in the lobby. Uh, we're going to start doing some new things. It doesn't mean we believe, uh, have stopped believing and doing groups the way we've always done them. We just feel like God's asking us to do more. And so one of the things I want you to do this weekend is to take one of these cards. Whether you're a member or not, I want you to take one of these cards, fill it out, and just check the box that is closest that, that you are closest to an area. And then we'll reach out to you. We're not going to bug you, but we are going to try and connect you with people in the same season of life, with people in different seasons of life, people in the same area, people in different neighborhoods. We're called to connect with one another, and the more connected we are to one another, the easier it's going to be to connect others to Christ. It's strategic. And one of the big reasons we're taking a look again at how we do groups comes out of Luke chapter five. And I want you to see it in your Bible. So if you put a marker there, flip over to Luke chapter five and we'll be done. Luke chapter five, starting in verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Incidentally, this is why the Pharisees were never able to build large churches. When you see others as scum, it's kind of hard to build the kingdom. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus encounters Matthew. Levi, Jesus changes his name to Matthew. Matthew throws a party for Jesus and invites all of his lost friends. This is what the body is supposed to look like. Yes, we come together. We worship corporately. But we were called as the body of Christ to connect others with Christ. And in this season, here's what I'm asking of you. Please, I beg of you, do not come to this church. Do not, I repeat, come to this church. I'm asking you to be the church. We can't do very much if all we are is a crowd. But if we really are a community of believers that connects with one another and connects others to Christ, a community of believers where others can count on us 
and we can count on them. Listen, we're not just going to serve out snow cones. We're going to offer snow cones and salvation in the same two hands. And we're going to do it together. And if you want to know, why are we making more room? It isn't so worship will be even louder. It isn't so the crowd will be even stronger. So that there will be more room for those God is drawing to be a part of this family and more room for those who do not yet know him, that he desires us to connect to him. An interesting thing about the word community is really it's two words, kind of breaks down. Come, unity. And in the middle of those two words, in my opinion, is you. It's interesting to me that in the middle of the word come and in the middle of the word unity is you. You have a decision to make. Is the church a place I come? Or is the church a place God has called me to connect with unity in the family of God? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.